0: i tell you what, I'm a changed man, just listen to this song. Hey, they call me the meat man, y'all to see me eat man. Hit on the meat man, y'all to see me eat man. I got jaws like a bear, trap a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener, showin' the hell of like a meat. i the meat
1: man. You're listening to The Best Barbecue Show, and I'm your host, Yoni Levin. This week, we have some great talks that I was able to attend during Barbecue Town Hall. Every year, Jeff Sable and his team create a day of information and updates for pitmasters and restaurant owners. This is the fifth year, and I'm truly grateful for being able to attend. This is a nice long episode for y'all. First up is Daniel Vaughn, barbecue editor for Texas Monthly and the man behind the Texas Monthly Top 50 list. He talks about how he chooses what restaurants to visit. There's a long list and some tips for restaurant owners on how they can successfully promote their business. You all know I love social media, so it's a treat for me as well. Second is David Anderson. He's a livestock economist at Texas A&M, and he discusses the trends in beef, pork, turkey, and how the past few years have gone, how the next few years might go. It's all predictions, so no one knows for sure, but his talk was full of information. If you listen closely, you can hear my notepad flipping because I was taking a ton of notes please enjoy these experts and i really want to know if you enjoyed this episode i attend a lot of types of these talks and if you enjoy it i'd love to provide you with more while you're at it don't forget to rate and review the show on itunes apple podcasts or whatever podcast app you use Uh, we broke the top 100 under food last week and it's all because of your support so thank you again and enjoy this episode from texas a&m town hall 2018
2: Alright, how y'all doing today? Um, so, uh, Dr. Sable asked me to come in here and talk to y'all. Uh, it's, it's a little intimidating to be up here and talk to a bunch of barbecue professionals about how to be barbecue professionals. Uh, I think mo- most of y'all have got it figured out at this point, but maybe uh, maybe I got a few new tips for you. Uh, so, I mean, the, the deal is y'all want people to come in, right? You want You want more customers. Uh, maybe you want more critics to come in as well and, and write about you. Uh, people like me. So uh, the, the way that you attract people like me is, and the way you attract your uh, your other potential customers are pretty much the same ways. It's, uh, you know, getting getting photos of your food out there, getting people to talk about your food, uh, and I'm going to talk to you about a few ways to do that. So I I, I travel around, and when I do travel, Texas of course is a big state, so. How do I make decisions on the places I go? Well, um, I do what a lot of people do. Right? I go on to Yelp. I don't really read reviews, I look for photos. What does your food look like? Does it look like a place that I should make a, a destination out of uh, Or a place that I should travel a really long way to go to uh, Also look at your Facebook pages if you've got one, and I hope you do have one. Uh, that's one of the easiest tips about getting people to your place, educate people about the barbecue you cook, and Giving them accurate, hopefully accurate information about how to find you and when to find you. Uh, but those photos that you're putting up on Facebook, those are uh, th- that is a potential place to attract you know people to come in and write about you, attract uh, just customers in general to see food that looks good and food that looks interesting and food that looks like we are traveling for. Uh, so I mean, number one is just make good food, make beautiful. There might be some people in the in the crowd here recognize this this platter. Um, it's some good looking food from El Paso, the Sardo Barbecue. Uh, but you know they, they make great food, and they're in El Paso. It's a long trip for me to go take. And if I if they if they put out good looking food for just the photos they put on their website, and then you show up and and it's not consistent or it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't match up with what it looked like online or uh, you know, basically if they're just not consistent, that's going to be a really disappointing trip. It's going to be a disappointing trip for certainly me, for having to fly to El Paso, try this food, and be like, what's going on? You're not, you're not, uh, you're not selling what you're advertising. Uh, but in this case, they certainly were. I mean, this is some this is incredible here, right here. Uh, and so they, they didn't disappoint, putting out consistent food. Uh, also, just always serve your best. You know, there's, there's often times where people get an opinion of their own barbecue based on the best stuff that they can make, not the stuff that they consistently serve. And this is a, this is a platter that I got the other day uh, outside of Dallas. It was my second visit there. The first visit I went, uh, the, the brisket was okay. Uh, and the owner said, He he caught me out as I was going out the door, running out. How was the brisket? I said, it was was pretty good, but it wasn't great. He's like, well, give us another try. Just come on back. I promise you it's going to be great. And, you know, I showed up a couple weeks later, and this This is the brisket brisket I got. got. This is a brisket that had been just sitting out on the cutting block. The end of it had gotten really dried out. This isn't the way it was served. This this edge that I took the photo of, this really dried out piece of brisket here, this was uh, underneath everything, face out uh, on the butcher paper, as if the customer was never going to see it, never going to notice it. But I, uh, one of the tricks that I do to make your, all y'all's food look better is arrange everything, get it all set, and then the last thing I do is flip over the brisket so that it looks nice and juicy, so that me arranging the food doesn't uh, detract from how good your food looks. So I, I did that same thing here. I flipped that brisket over and, and this is what I got. This was the impression that they were giving to, to their customers about sort of how much they value their, the money that their customers are paying. That they're gonna take a piece that they know is, is a little trashy, you should probably just go in the trash. And instead they decided to hide it under a few other slices of brisket. So um, you know, serve your best. If you wouldn't want it on your platter, um, chances are you probably have some control over what's going on in that cutting block. If you wouldn't want to eat it, or if you wouldn't want to serve it to your mom, then uh, don't serve it to the other customers. You know that that could have just as easily gone into chopped beef, or uh, you know, gone into chili for the next day, or, or whatever. Uh, but it wouldn't have created a, a bad impression with me or with any other customer. Um, so. You know, just basically just serve your best. You know, the thing is, like, y'all are, as business owners, you know, you you have a bargain to keep up. You have your end of the bargain to keep up, customers have their end of the bargain to keep up, to come in, pay for your food, eat your food, and hopefully enjoy your food. Uh, So just keep your end of the bargain up and and always be serving your best. Uh, One easy way to do that is, you know, here's, here's brisket sitting on a cutting block. It's still nice and juicy, but if it sits there for, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, nobody's ordering brisket, it's going to get dry out. A really simple thing to do is just flip it over. Just flip, flip whatever that cut side is down, have it down on the cutting block so that uh, when that next customer comes in, asking for a slice of brisket, they've got a nice juicy edge to serve from. Uh, also, make beautiful food. Do whatever you can to make it look great. You know, what your, this this tray, this is from Town Lodge in Dallas. So this tray, they, this is the way they arrange uh, their trough tray. So when you order the trough, and I order a few sides of it as well, this is the way they arranged it. I didn't have to do anything to this tray other than take a photo of it. Then the photo I took became an advertisement for that restaurant. Um, any photos that any of your customers take, put on Instagram, put on social media, put on Facebook, those are advertisements for your business. So make it look its best. You know, work on how you arrange things on a tray. Uh, you know, truth barbecue. So Leonard Botello, the fourth, uh, he's one of the best. at. You know, he just, the way he cuts meat and finesses everything on the tray, it just always comes out looking beautiful. You get a tray of food from Uh, From Truth Barbecue, you you take it outside, set it down on your table, take a photo of it. You don't have to do a thing to it, and it's beautiful. It's appetizing. It's something that people want to travel for, something they want to see, something they want to eat. So don't make people work. Uh, You know, I'll always try and work to make your food look as good as I can make it, because I want Instagram likes, too. I'm vain. Uh, So I want those likes, too, so I'm going to always try and make it look as good as I can, but not everybody's going to. So uh, do what you can to make it look as good as you can. And you know, a few things that you can do is, uh, well this is, a, this is sometimes people's only option to serve from is uh, styrofoam to-, to go container. But I mean, you can just see the, the difference here. I mean, I'm not saying everybody's gotta create a, a tray that's beautiful, but if you can see the difference here, this is good barbecue. So this is from a place on Abilene, Jay's Barbecue Shack. This was all good barbecue. That's, uh, that sausage there is actually a ghost pepper sausage. Uh, up on the top left, there's bacon burn ends. If y'all didn't get them out, you can't have a Texas barbecue joint anymore without having bacon burn ends on the menu. It's just a rule now. Uh, but, but you can see here, like, it's, it's still nicely arranged food. It's still good looking food, but it doesn't look nearly as good as uh, food. So uh, obviously if you're serving something to people to go, you've gotta put it in a to-go container, but if you have another option for people who are eating at your establishment, even if you're a food truck, if you have another option of a way to serve it, to make sure that people take a photo of it. it, looks good, do something other than this. And it might be as simple as changing the color. Like the black styrofoam containers just look better. You just do So it's as simple as that fixed. And I have no idea what the difference in cost is, uh, to purchase one over the other, but I know that the food in the lifestyle in from the containers just looks better. Um, and, you know, food on a plate can still look really good as well. It doesn't need to be on a tray. But this, again, this is a, a plate that I got from Brotherton's Barbecue in Fliberville. This is a barbecue that I didn't have to do anything to. Just, I, got a pl- I got the plate and it looked just like this. It was beautiful. I, I took a photo of it, put it right on Instagram, and you know, the more you can do to make sure that the photos that your customers are not only making, but seeing on Instagram feeds or on uh, on Facebook, on Yelp, wherever it might show up, do whatever you can to make it look good. Uh, pay more attention to size. You know, these days, uh, there's, you know, I think we're, we're beyond the time where you can just do potato salad, beans, and coleslaw. And just leave it at that. Well, all right. So if you're Franklin Barbecue, you can do just beans and potatoes and coleslaw. But he's his own category. Uh, but you know, there's people who are expecting a lot more, especially if you're in a city. People are expecting more options to come in. People are also expecting more vegetarian options to come in. You know, you might laugh like, "Oh, what vegetarians come to a barbecue joint?" Well, it might be you know my wife who's coming with me who doesn't want to eat barbecue that day. She's like, well, what are my other options? Well, if you come to Feed Just Barbecue, oh yeah, Aaron's taking a photo here. She's putting that right on Instagram. See? <laughs> but uh, th- this is Aaron Smith's creations here from Feed Just Barbecue. So you, you can go in and you can order just a platter of sides there. And they're all creative, they're all inventive, they're all well done. Uh, and some of them are, are unique to barbecue. Of course, you see some, uh, you know, you see some coleslaw up there. Some potato salad, but uh, you know most of these things are things you wouldn't normally find in a barbecue joint. Well, what does that do for you? Well, it not only creates options, but it also creates another reason for people to talk about you. You know, the, there's, I'm sure Patrick loves it when everybody comes in. Have you had the sides feed this Barbecue? Right? Oh yeah, they have good barbecue too. They have the sides. Well, okay, so that might hurt the ego of the pitmaster a little bit, but uh, it provides people a different reasons to come in and a different reasons to talk about you. It also provides a different reason for critics to talk about you as well. It gives them a reason to come into your place. So, if I'm putting together a list of, you know, the best vegetarian options in Texas, Texas Barbecue joints. well, this is one of the first places I'm going to think of. So, that's going to go on a list of, you know, that's going to go on one of those lists. Another way to get your name out there. Uh, just some more beautiful sides. So, uh, it's also a great way to really have your own signature as well. You know, There's only so much you can do with a brisket. You can add a different rub, you can use a different wood, but in the end, if you're doing a really beautiful, well-smoked brisket, it's not going to be that much different than the guy that girl down the street. It's going to be just a, another slice of really good brisket. But if you can create a signature of your own through your sides, so this is from South Barbecue in San Antonio, and it really stuck with me. Uh, their barbecue was good, uh, but their size really made an impression. Great potato salad, these beans and rice are better than most any Mexican restaurant I've been to. This green bean salad with almonds and tomatoes. Uh, it was just great and it's something that I uh, think about and remember in a place, uh, a thing that really sets this place apart. Uh, desserts. Uh, so this, this place here, this is uh, Eddie Mae's up in Wolfworth, Texas, right near Loving. They're a bit of an outlier they have, they're gonna open like their own bakery. So of course they have this an amazing array of desserts. And this is one of the first things you see when you walk up to the counter, is all these different options. And so what I'm telling you is not to have eight different options for dessert. That's certainly not always a, a possibility for any barbecue joint. But uh, have at least one really good one. You know, we had, uh, I went into a place today, or a couple of years ago, really, the uh, place isn't open anymore but they thought it was funny, like we're serving Mrs. Fields, our our uh, our pecan pie is Mrs. Fields' recipe. And it's like, well, what, why are you even doing that? Like, why even bother? Why even bother if we're just gonna get a frozen pie out and serve it, like, in, you know, try and, you know, come up with grandma's recipe or your mom's favorite recipe for this or that. Maybe it's chocolate chip cookies, you know, whatever it has to be. It doesn't have to be banana pudding or peach cobbler try and create something that's, that's unique and it's really good and that might be a reason to stop in at that restaurant even if it's not just about the barbecue. So I go, uh, this is from Miller's in Belton. So Miller's is another one of those outliers, like crazy array of great desserts. Uh, but if I'm driving through Belton, Texas, I'm probably gonna stop. They might get mad because I don't order barbecue because I already know I like their barbecue. But I'll stop in and get some coffee and because they have, they have great coffee there. And they have great desserts. So stop in for some coffee and dessert, say hi. Uh, but if they were serving Mrs. Fields Pecan Pie, I'm certainly not going to stop in and check it out. Uh, that's some good pecan pie there as well. Just, I like that shot. Uh, and then uh, this is, you know, it doesn't have to be a traditional barbecue dessert either. This is key lime pie from Big Boy's Barbecue in Sweetwater. Uh, don't normally think of key lime pie as something you serve at barbecue. But again, if I'm driving through Sweetwater, Texas, I'm gonna stop, I'm gonna get some barbecue, Uh, I'm gonna talk to the owner, and I'm gonna get a piece of key lime pie. Uh, It doesn't always have to be just the Texas Trinity item. So I know there's a lot of focus on smoking a great brisket, doing good rack ribs, uh, making good sausage, But, you know, think outside outside of that sometimes. Um, Create something that you need. Now, maybe you don't have to go as crazy as Brotherton's Barbecue with the smoked brisket bonnie here, but, I mean, first of all, that got me a lot of Instagram likes right there. I mean, again, it's a a beautiful way to display that food, but it also creates a new and different flavor. Um, They spent a lot of time uh, selecting the right bread for that, uh, but then the rest of it's just, Slice the brisket and put some raw vegetables on it. I mean, there's not a whole lot of work that goes into making this look great beyond the smoking of the brisket, but it's something that is memorable, it's something that people crave and go back to Brotherton's just so they can get the brisket bologna sandwich. Uh, I went into Ember's Barbecue up in Levelland, Texas, and uh, they had you know, your normal array. We had the smoked pork belly, which I guess those pork belly prices are looking pretty good these days. So, Maybe you want to look at that. But uh, up in the top right, they have brisket conchitos They take the elbow um, sorry, not elbow They take these little shells, uh, they actually saute them a little like you make fideo, saute them and then uh, cook them up with the brisket, some tomatoes, some garlic. First of all, it was a great way to use some leftover brisket, great way to create a signature item for them. and something that was memorable, something that was different than any of the other places in the panhandle area that I was eating at. Uh, and then on the lower left, they did this brisket stew. It was really cold out. Um, again, it had nothing to do with left brisket, but it created this dish that uh, not only was it unique and, and really good, it was, it was also a meal on its own. So if you had somebody who was coming in who might almost spend a ton on getting a three meat platter and two sides, they could come in and maybe just get a bowl of the, of the brisket stew. And that was and enough. enough, that'd be enough to bring people in. Um, th- this is just a thing for me, this is a personal thing. Uh, Texas toast is awesome. It's, it is so versatile as well. Like, you know, the people who come in to Texas from outside of Texas, eat our barbecue, and they're like, what's with the white bread? Like, well, it's free, so you can't really <laughs> complain that much. Um, but you know, y'all spent a lot of money on white bread, right? Because it is free, and I'm sure you see a lot of it in the trash cans. Um, and I've, I'm guilty. I've thrown a lot of white bread right away. If I'm ever asked for it, I always just say, no, don't bother. Like, I don't need it. If uh, if you ask if I want pickles or onions, I'm probably going to say yes. But, you know, I don't need 15 pickle chips. No, not most people don't need 15 pickle chips. Unless sure. you're eating a whole rack of Louis or beef ribs, you might need, like, those pickle chips just uh, you know, give yourself a little bit of relief in between. But, uh, you know, don't waste your money on these things. Don't ask people if they want them so that you don't have to just put them on platters so they get thrown away. But then the other thing to do is just do Texas toast, just buttered Texas toast, because nobody throws that away because it's so good. Like, buttered grilled Texas toast. And then also you never have to buy buns anymore because it also makes a beautiful sandwich and a really tasty sandwich. So uh, that's just my thing on Texas toast. If you want to save yourself from throwing away a bunch of white bread and also buying buns, just buy Texas toast instead and butter it and grill it and make awesome sandwiches out of it. Uh, Sausage. Sausage is another great way. i talked about ways to create your own signature, uh, ways to create unique flavors. And there's really, uh, you know, sides we talked about, but sausage is a really great way to do you know, you, you go. You think of Lock, Lockhart Barbecue, you know, old style ring sausages. They've got that. That's like one of the first things I think of when I think of that style of barbecue. It's not so much about the brisket or any of those things. That sausage is what is so unique about that area. And uh, so many places, you know, they just they just buy somebody else's sausage. Maybe they buy some uh, some commercial sausage that's already cooked, already smoked. They warm it up on the pit and serve it. And you know, that, that might be something if if you're looking to be able to serve cheap sausage wraps. But if you want if you want to make an impression on people, uh, you know, either make your own sausage, and I know that's an arduous task, and not everybody's good at making sausage, and it's a completely different skill than smoking brisket. Uh, but the other option is, is go to a local butcher shop or go to somebody uh, in the area who does make sausage and talk to them about creating your own recipe or having them make sausage for you. And having them deliver it raw, that way you can be in control of, of how it's cooked, how it's smoked, uh, get that nice fresh snappy casing out of it, nice juicy sausage, and and you can also uh, add in all of the flavors that you like. Maybe maybe you don't like jalapeno cheese. Maybe you hate that like that low melt cheddar cheese, and you just want a jalapeno sausage. So you know, have them make one for you. Maybe maybe you want to serve like a kielbasa, and you you can do that. Uh, and that's something that people might come to your barbecue joint just to be able to try that. Uh, but I promise you, I'm not gonna come to your barbecue joint so they can, man, I really need another, uh, another link of that egg sausage. Like, nobody's saying that, right? I mean, maybe, maybe it makes a cheaper sausage but out of it, you know. And, uh, I was in Bodacious Barbecue last week, and they have, they make their own sausage, but they also have just really cheap hot links that are commercially made. And, but people in the area love them, and they just serve them for really cheap. Like, okay, you uh, gotta come in and complain about our, our handmade sausage uh, that's delicious, and complain that we don't have those cheap-ass hot links. so fine, here's your hot links. Uh This is the chiliano Sausage from Tejas, uh, chocolate and barbecue in Tomwall, Texas. And it's, uh, well, it kind of took, the, at least the, the people who talk about barbecue all the time on Twitter and Instagram it took that that whole thing about the storm. Um,
1: but, you yeah. know, it, was, it wasn't,
2: you know, it wasn't like a, a full array of their barbecue that people were talking about. It wasn't uh, it wasn't the brisket, it wasn't the ribs. People were just like, they had to get to Tomball, Texas, so they could go try the stillery, you know, sausage, whatever we were talking about. And it is it's fantastic. Uh, do specials. Uh, you know, whether it's just a special in price or maybe it's a special item that you're cooking, you know, we saw from those prices earlier today if you don't have chicken on your menu it might be time to get chicken on your menu from those prices uh the same for the turkey you know those poultry be in a lot cheaper um, and it gives you an opportunity to put something on special that you're not going to take a big hit on it also gives you a reason to uh to use your social media and please you should be on social media whether you just want to have an instagram handle or just Facebook, or just Twitter, or all of them, you should choose one of them to be able to communicate with your customers. And uh, it might seem redundant. You might be like, man, I keep just, what, what can I do? I put another photo of the brisket up, or another photo of my ribs, or another photo of this platter. Well, if you do the specials, if you do like, uh, maybe, in, and maybe you cook a special item. This is from to Barbecue in Hollisville, and they only do these pork steaks once a week. But that gives them a reason to get on social media, talk to their potential customers, their regular customers, as a reminder, like, "Hey, come in! We got the, the pork steaks up there today. And then you know they can take the same photo and reuse it week after week, and that's fine. Uh, and another tip, if you if you're going to do something like that, pay, if, if you have the means, and I know there's, there's people in here just doing pop ups or or have um, you know food trucks and they, they, they don't feel like they deal with this level of overhead but bring in somebody to take professional photos of your food and maybe it's just a friend of yours who takes some good photos but you know take a couple hours take photos of all that food and have that just in your bank to be able to put those out there on social media put them out there on Facebook to remind people of how great your food looks and what they should be in to eat uh, this is from Ragel's Barbecue I mean this uh, People are lining up. Just what is it? Every Wednesday, Russell? Every Thursday. So every Thursday is a pastrami Reuben day, and it's fantastic. And how many people do you have coming in on a Wednesday versus a Saturday? I mean, just as many. Does this bring in more people on a Wednesday than you than before you had this on Wednesdays? Or sorry, Thursdays. Thursdays. Going on Thursdays for the pastrami Day. Thursday is one of your busiest days now. I talked to John Brotherton, he does uh, Tex-Mex Tuesdays. Their Tuesday evenings are just as busy as their Friday and Saturday evenings. And that's just because they do this special thing once a week, it brings people in. And these specials, maybe maybe you don't need to have, even think about having a special on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, when you already have your bulk of customers in. But you know, you're, you're paying overhead for that space on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, do something that you can to, to bring more people in. Uh, also, use your own work. Am I going to tell you whose website this is from? It's from a top 50 barbecue joint. It is not Franklin Barbecue. And that is most definitely Franklin Barbecue's barbecue. Use your own work. Take your own photos. Ask uh, maybe ask people like me, hey, can I use that photo? Like, chances are I'm gonna say yes. You know, can I use that photo on my social media? Just don't use other people. Uh, And then, uh, you know, the future is plant-based. We're going to see a lot more of this uh, vegan brisket. Uh, I think you should probably start looking into it, start smoking it. I got y'all, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it's just terrible. It's really, really bad. It's really bad. But if you're going to look for vegetarian options to people or vegan options to people to bring them into your barbecue joint, you know, vegetables are good. This is this is smoked cauliflower from 18th and Vine. It's the smoked cauliflower steak. You know, your, your, carni- your carnivorous customers might turn their nose up at it, and maybe they'll never order it, but that's okay. Maybe the person they're bringing who wouldn't have otherwise gone to that restaurant, uh, it gives them an option of something to eat, and it sure looks a lot better than that, right? I mean, cauliflower is still good. I like cauliflower. Uh, make sure people can find you. This is, I'm uh, picking on Amber's Barbecue here a little bit, in Leveland. It was a business that was really struggling. And when I went to visit them, they talked about their struggles. Uh, they're, you know, they're in Leveland, Texas, so they don't really have a huge population to draw from. It's a 30-minute drive from Lubbock. But if you see the search here, there's nothing in the right, upper right-hand side from Google telling you where this business is. That means that if I'm in level land or anywhere near level land and I search barbecue, it's not going to show up. If I am in Google Maps and I type in Embers Barbecue, it's not going to be able to find it. If I'm in Waze and I type in Embers Barbecue, it's not going to find it. So it's so easy to just get yourself listed uh, in, in things like Google Maps and make sure that people can find you. And you know, have that information. Have all the information that can allow people to find you and know when to find you prominently on your website. Your hours. Don't make people search for your hours. Like they're at your website because they want to come visit your business. They should see that on the front page. This is when I can go eat there. And make sure it's consistent. You know, if you have Facebook, Yelp, uh, you know, all, all these different platforms that are displaying your hours, make sure they're consistent. Uh, you know, there, there was a barbecue joint I just talked to him the other day. Some of their stuff, some of their, um, uh, some of their pages showed that they were open only on Saturday and Sunday. Some showed that they were Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Well, if I'm making plans to go travel there, I'm never going to go there on Friday. Because that might be the day that's wrong on that other platform. I don't know which one of those is right or wrong. So make sure they're consistent. If you open up for a new day, make sure to announce that to the world. Uh, and make sure to update that on all of your platforms. Your, your website, Facebook, uh, and put it on your website again. Or if you just have a Facebook page, and please do at least create a Facebook page so that people can find you, and and update that stuff uh, regularly. And um, also, you know your your competition. Know what your competition is doing, and understand that they're actually not your competition, like. <laughs> They're part of the broader barbecue community. If if Leanne Miller and John Miller can get together and, and cook um, some beef ribs, or well, this was a, a quarter of a sear uh, at John Miller Australia, by the way, Leanne fired John from one of his previous jobs. Uh, if they can get together and work together uh, and not see themselves as competition, then you can do that with the person down the street. I, um, I stopped into a barbecue joint recently, wrote a review about it. Um, another barbecue joint owner is a top 50 barbecue joint owner in the same town and texted me and said, oh I see you went to my competition. Uh, was it better than mine? I was like, what, what are you talking <laughs> about? This is not your competition. This is finally another barbecue joint open near you doing good quality barbecue it gives people more of a reason to come out and enjoy barbecue in your city. Uh, I was just up in the panhandle recently when I talked about Ember's Barbecue in Land. Pinot Barbecue in Olton, um, uh, Pit Forks and Smoke Rings in Slayton, and of course, Eddie Mays in Wolford. And they're all within like pretty much a half hour to like 45 minutes of each other. So. And it was the first time I've been up in that area and could tell could come back and tell people, no, there's a reason to now go to the Panhandle and eat barbecue. If you're a big barbecue fan and you want to try these places, there's a reason to travel up there and not just do to at Eggie Mays or go up to Amarillo and go to Tiger's. Now there's all these other ones popping up. And that is, like, the people at Eddie Mays, when I told them that, they were so happy. They're just like, finally. People don't get that excuse that, well, I'm not going to go up to, to eat their stuff because there's nothing else stuff around there. It gives people a reason to go eat, uh, you know, to go eat more places, to have more good places around them. Now also, uh, I say they're not your competition, but know what your competition's doing. You know, don't just open up a place and not know how good or how bad the barbecue is down the street. Or not know how much they're charging for down the street. Uh, you know, maybe it's a place that is bargain barbecue and everybody who comes to your trailer and sees that you're selling burst it for $20 a pound is gonna complain about it. Well, at least know what you're up against. Uh, and also know what you're up against on the high side as well. If you're putting out food, if you're at the brand new place in town or You're one of the newer spots in town, or the new guy comes to town. Know what they're doing, and make sure you're as good or or better than they are. But don't be ignorant of it. I mean, they're right down the street. Go give it a try. Uh, I have never seen a barbecue joint that says they're the world's best barbecue that is the world's best barbecue. If, like the, the easiest way to tell if it's not Texas's best barbecue is if their sign or somewhere in the restaurant says best barbecue in Texas. That's pretty much the easiest way to figure out that it's not. Uh, so it's, it's just a strange sign that I see a few places. Uh, let, this is gonna sound really self-serving coming from a critic, I know. But let other people say it for you. It means so much more coming from somebody else. Uh, so much more coming from, uh, you know, your, your regular customers uh, from some lists that might come out, things like that. It just always is going to be more coming from somebody else. Uh, so, I, you know, I I go around, I eat a lot of barbecue. I, I know that uh, some of you all might have questions about things that I've seen or ways that you think you might be able to improve uh, or, you know, maybe you just want me to come visit your barbecue joint and I haven't been there yet. But I want to leave it open to questions for you all if you have any for me. There, there are a lot of people who are, a lot of barbecue joint owners who are obsessed with pleasing me because they want to get on the top 50 barbecue list. And I understand that that's important to a lot of people and it can really help boost people's business. But um, I'm not the only person you looking to impress. In fact, my my opinion isn't nearly as important as your regular customers. Um, I, me putting you on a list is certainly going to be able to feed your ego. but. Uh, your regular customers are what's gonna keep you in business. They're the ones who are gonna be coming back week after week, maybe a couple of times a week. And so treating them right and making sure you're consistently serving the best barbecue you can is gonna keep them coming back and keep them supporting you. And they're also willing, and most of them are gonna be happy to be your advocates. So if you ask your regulars, hey, can you, you know, how many of you listen to podcasts? What do you hear all the time? Like and subscribe and give me a five-star review, right? Say that to ask your regular customers who you know are going to be willing to do that, who are willing to be your advocates online to go in leave reviews for you, leave Facebook reviews, Yelp reviews, um, just to get your name mentioned more often in a positive way. Yeah, as far as the whole standing in line watching your meat cut in front of you, uh, I don't really have a good answer which way you should do it because they're, both options offer something unique. Offer it their positives and negatives. So, if you go to Louie Miller Barbecue, you're going to stand in a long line. You're going to get up to the front of the counter, and you, you might be, you know, you might be really impatient, really unhappy that it took that long. But then you're going to get that burn in from the brisket, and you're going to eat it, and you're going to forget all about it. Uh, but you're also going to have the opportunity to, to talk to the people who are cutting your meat. Maybe Wayne's back there. You'll have a conversation with him. Everybody behind you is going to be pissed off because. Wayne's sitting here talking to you for 10 minutes, but you get that opportunity, you know, and you also get the opportunity to see your meat get cut right in front of you. So they're saying, Do you want this rib or that rib, You know, well, okay, I'm, I'm not hung- as hungry as a family of four, so I'll take that smaller beef rib uh, if possible. So it gives you that sort of control. Now, go to the other end of the spectrum and go to the corkscrew here or pecan lodge. That line is long, but it moves fast, right? Well, the reason it moves fast is because Place your order to pay for it, and then everything happens back in the kitchen. And then they call your name, your number, and you come and get it. You don't really have the control of uh, you know of, of which rib you're going to get, or the, oh that's not going to be enough, we're going to need some more. You don't have that level of control, but it all happens a lot faster. So you know which one of those things do you want out, out of your barbecue joint experience? Uh, for a uh, for a barbecue joint owner, selling about a pound, cutting it right on the block is going to be better for your profit. Because if somebody orders a quarter pound of brisket and they put that order in in the, in the register and you pay for it, then it goes back to the kitchen and you end up with a third of pound of brisket, well, you're not paying them. They're not gonna ask you to get a few more dollars. <laughs> like that's just money that the, that the restaurant just lost. So um, you know, that's that's another upside down side of that. So it, it's it's hard to say. It's sort of how do you want to interact with your customers? And you know, when we talk about barbecue lines, the one that often comes up is Franklin Barbecue. It's like, stop! It's like it's its own category. Nobody else has a four-hour line. Like people, people tailgate in the Franklin Barbecue line. Nobody else. There's no other barbecue joint quite like that. So I thought I'd start with a couple of kind of overriding
0: things going on. Whether we're talking beef, pork, chicken. Or anything else. There's there's several things kind of happening that affect all of them. One is we're still in an environment of pretty low feed costs, and so when feed costs go down, we tend to produce more livestock and more meat. And so we're still in this environment of, of what I'd probably call bird cheap feed, uh, record meat production. I think we're headed for another year next year and probably 2020 of increasing meat production across all the main species we talk about. Uh, If there were a couple of things that I was thinking back to last year when when I was up here talking, there's a couple of things that I think surprised me uh, a little bit. One was what I would probably call is basically growing demand. I've been amazed at how strong the demand has been for particularly beef. we had got a growing economy. We've got things like that. We've got the product of y'all's great work. That is enticing more people to want to eat beef and come eat something great. And that growing demand, I think, think is basically, uh, even though our supplies are growing, we've been outstripping supply growth just with demand, because so many people want to eat something good. And what's interesting is, I put accept turkey, I think if we looked at one of the interesting things going on in terms of turkey, uh, the opposite seems to be happening. Uh, where. The turkey industry is really struggling to, they're actually looking to cut production because they've been unprofitable, yet prices continue to decline. Uh, and so they're really struggling with a lack of demand, whereas on the beef side, we might, in some cases, be struggling with a lot of demand. It's pushing prices, particularly for some of our cuts, even higher, even though we got more supplies. And, and what I'd also say is just blooming beef exports. We've got... Uh, We've we got a record amount of beef being exported this year. We had a record last year, pretty close as well, and so those, those markets are booming, pulling off some more of our supplies off the market. So if we keep those kinds of things in mind, I think a lot of those go over everything we talk about. Uh, I thought I would show a little bit of a uh, chart. January through December prices, dollars per bushel, these are soybean prices. Uh, the red line is a five-year average. The dotted line is last year. The blue line is this year. And, and I wanted to reinforce this idea of falling feed costs, but I think the, you know one of the other reasons for using this one, there's been all kinds of stuff in the news about tariffs, right, the retaliatory tariffs. If you take a look at soybean prices in July, that blue line, when it collapses, falls below last year. That's really the effect of tariffs uh, in this meat market. The where tariffs particularly are particularly affected in the meat market is because they're driving meat costs lower and it's only prices to produce some more. Uh, that's particularly true, I think, on the, on the pork and chicken side, uh, because the paws of chickens, from the time they pop out, they have a lot of corn and soybean meal. And so that's, I think, you know, where we see a little bit of effect in the tariff, but it also reinforces this idea that the feed's pretty cheap, relatively speaking, particularly compared to that average. While uh, I show commercial meat poultry production, I mentioned record production. I started in 95 on this chart. The, the dark blue is beef, pork. The light blue is chicken. There's a green up at the top for turkey. There's a little tiny red thing if you're a fan of lamb and veal. <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of a fan of what the lamb side myself, but it sort of washed out. It's so small. But, you know, you look at the trend of that. We continue to produce more and more beef. We have produced a record this year, I think another record in 2019 and a record after that in 2020. Uh, and, and obviously a lot of that, a lot of that growth in meat production is headed to foreign markets. Uh, we export about 11% of our beef, we're exporting about 22, 23% of our pork, uh, another 18 or 19% of our chicken so that's where a lot of the growth market has been in, in recent, i said in recent years. Um, so just to kind of have that in mind too, usually we think, right I hope we're going to produce more stuff, what's going to happen to the price, it's probably going down. Uh, I think we'll make the case that maybe on the beef side, uh, we've had some demand sort of match that growth and supply. So let, let's jump on cattle and beef just a little bit. The big picture is growing supplies. We still have more cattle, we've got a growing beef cow herd, um, more supplies. I think we're we'll going to have more beef production next year, another percent or two. Uh, really a year of, I think, tremendous demand for beef uh, and some growing supplies. So I'm going to show a bunch of charts around beef to kind of pull out some stuff I think are interesting uh, in, in the overall market. But that basic idea of growing supplies, yet pretty darn good demand sort of covers the beef side. So, what I have here is just our cow herd in, in, uh, uh, going back to, to 1988.
1: Heck, you guys know, the cattle industry is
0: cyclical, right? And it's affected by drought, it's affected by profits, the ranchers make money, we expand our herds, if we're losing money, we cut our herds. Because of biology, it takes a long time to get that calf from the time she's born. And and even more from the time she's conceived, and you plan to hold that heifer to the time that we have a stake, or or any other cut off that animal. So we push, you know, that that animal from the time they're born. It's a good 18, 20 months before they go to market. Uh, And if we want to go back to. Holding back that heifer they increase our herd, we get out to about four years before that happens. So there's a long biological lag, and you can see a bit of that cycle going on. And what I've highlighted in the last couple of years, we had a growing herd. We were up 1.6% uh, last year. Uh, I think we're going to be up maybe half a percent this year. The data, when I say this year, the data comes out for January 1, so January 1, 2019, I think it's going to be about half a percent more than January 1 last year. So a little more bean production, uh, more cows, as a basic building block of livestock. You know, I don't usually focus on the cows because if they have more cows, we don't have more calves going to need more beef production so you know essentially that's where i think we're going is we're still growing a little bit in terms of beef production yeah we, uh, we got a few more dairy cows also which will be important in a minute i'm going to talk about how many cows are in the market um, so I, I think a couple other I, i'm going to kind of this, this is going to be a lot of sort of a shotgun approach i think i'm going to hit a bunch of different things and kind of this whole picture but this growing number of cows when we get to these animals coming out of the feedlot uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think is worth pointing out is you see these lines are pretty really much on top of each other. We didn't really have a lot of growth in uh, weights. What we tend to think of that as, as, as sort of a leading indicator of is it, in some ways that animals aren't staying in feedlots longer, eating more, getting heavier. It means that, that it's, it's part of that is that demand for cattle is, that demand for beef is moving. So we're not leaving the animals standing there to eat longer and, and get fatter. We're moving on we're on out. Uh, and, and so when we don't see this big growth in in weights year over year, it basically means, hey, we're moving those cattle. That demand is there. And I think we certainly have that this year. So, so this is going to relate to another one of my, my shotgun pellets here in a second. Uh, but if I look at weights not changing, take a look at beef production. Beef production has been relatively close to a year ago. A couple percent. If I look at that solid blue line versus the, the dotted line from last year, uh, particularly in the last few months, particularly in this late summer, uh, we actually had beef production very close to a year ago. So we think of this idea of more cattle, more calves, more beef, yet the weights aren't growing. The demand is there for the animals, so we're we'll pulling through the market faster, uh, and yet we have beef production that's just barely growing. So when we think about prices. You know, we think about this side of the world, are we getting more supplies, well, just a little bit more. This isn't a huge rapid growth in supplies given the caliber. So, uh, take a look at the production there. So keep that in mind where we look in like July, August, September, yeah, we actually had some weeks with less beef production than we did the same time the year before. Somebody people always ask me, take a look in there, you see some pretty sharp dips, right? Those are holiday weeks. Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, when packing plants are closed for a day out of the week. And so you see it show up in statistics really fast. So that'll explain, it kind of explains why we uh, see some of those sharp declines. And of course, the end of the year is Christmas, New Year's, right through there. So, so I, you know, it's kind of, it's always been interesting to see this in the day and the holidays right away. So beef production just barely above a year ago. So, I'm gonna start with this one. Uh, I think Jeff and Davey had some tweets in the last week about about grading and things like that. I wanna just show this beef grading choice. Uh, I got a five year average on there and you can see the last couple of years, we've been well above that average. What I think is is the interesting part is take a look from about June, basically the middle of that chart until just a month ago where we were actually, of the carcasses that were being graded, fewer of them were grading choice. And if I take that through that time period, and I showed you beef production on that earlier slide, if I put the two together, we were actually producing less total choice beef than a year ago, even though our production's higher, because fewer of them are grading choice. So there, there is a reason. I don't want to get out of my lane too much being an economist. These guys can jump in, but there is a relationship between weights and grade, and at what point at what age they go on feed and some other things, but the faster we bring those animals through, the less time they have to put on more weight, the less time we, I think, we see an effect there. So one of the things that's gone on in the last few months is uh, we've had actually less choice beef. so if you're interested in buying beef products that are choice, of so a sudden, there's less supplies around. So you might have seen some higher prices uh, And it's simply a supply-driven thing combined with what I already talked about, or mentioned this growing demand for beef. There's less supplies to feed that growing demand. So you might say, well, gosh, if less ever is choice, what did those, what were those critters that didn't great choice? Well, actually, what it turns out is there were more primes than a year ago in this same time period. So the difference in the ones that didn't grade choice, they either ended up prime or select, because we saw a growth in the supplies of actual prime. So we'll go through this time period and where we got uh, the percent grade of choices down two or three percentage points from a year ago, we actually had prime up a couple percent, we had select up a couple percent, that's where they went. So we actually had larger supplies of prime beef fewer supplies of choice throughout the summer. Uh, and you'll notice that choice actually picked up above a year ago, finally, in the last month. Uh, not only that, but we have more carcasses grading prime. In fact, nationwide, the last month, we've had about 9% of all carcasses grading prime, which is a big number historically. If we break it out we'll and go to someplace like Nebraska, more than 10% of the carcasses in the last month in Nebraska have be been breeding prime. So there's more prime supplies and more choice supplies on the market as well. I think over the long term, is this, this idea of choice, I think that's a big part of demand. I think we've found a lot of consumers who want a higher quality product. And just at the time that as an industry over the last 25 years has stressed a higher quality product. So, so we're not only producing that, but we happen to be producing exactly what people want at the same time. So uh, anyway, I, th- I tend to think that this idea of choice being below a year ago this summer, I think I tend to believe that sort of an aberration in the market, quite honestly, where we just had a hard time supplying that at the rate that we were moving cattle through. So it's not something I expect to continue. I expect we'll still have growing supplies, a little more, uh, you know, something matching this year in terms of the amount of the choice. So, is the, so the idea is, so between cho- prime choice and select, where where's the where's it coming from? Are we is is the prime taking that chunk out of choice? Is is choice getting is choice getting worse and is one of the others getting better? Can we say it like that? But but essentially, I you know, I think it's more that just so happens where the difference is, we had a few more grades selects, so we had some more on the lower end, yet we had some more on the higher end. So it's on the stuff on the higher end, is that on purpose with people planning trying to get that? I think we certainly have that, particularly in specialty markets, we were trying to get that. Uh, yet, with the overall supplies of the, the bulk of our meat that we produce, it just didn't make it that far. Yet we have specialty things that are continuing to shoot for that prime market and they're achieving that so we're we're growing prime Uh, we've tended to grow prime and grow more choice at the expense of select so long-term trend choice is going up prime's going up select's going down but again you know we're trying to hit a premium market because choice sells at higher prices select does so we're trying to get there to to capture some of that premium did that get anywhere close (laughs) (laughs) Good, <laughs> yeah, I was hoping so. That, that's a great question because I think what's going on here, and from the, from the tweets last week out of their recent work, where we see uh, different days of the week and grading in the week, this is taking that weekly average across everywhere. So we've sort of shifted up to all of our beef worthies. It's coming at the expense of select. We see that sharp decline in the premium for prime over choice. And, and essentially, all I'm suggesting here is that a lot of times markets work. If we produce more prime, how big is that market for prime? Could we, could we, in theory, oversupply the prime beef market? And could that premium come down? I think that's exactly what we've seen as prime beef has gone up. As we're producing more of it, we've eroded away some of the premium because there's just plenty more supplies there. If we think about where what that market is for prime beef, it's usually, usually we tend to think of it as high-end steakhouses, right? Where they're actually advertised prime uh, type of product. So is it possible to oversupply that market and force that price difference down? I think it is. I think we see that right here. Um, I think particularly for y'all, there is a, there is a prime market uh, as well as we think about, uh, in this case, brisket values. I used this same chart a year ago. I thought I'd update and use the same thing again to see if this works. But I've got my quality grade. green. Green is prime, you know, branded, choice, select, and ungraded. And, and each one of those sets of bars is a month from a year ago through through uh, November. Uh, and one, you know, one of the things, there's several things I would point out out of this. One is, Uh, The overall level of price that you you, you don't see here, but the overall level of price is higher than it was. I think clearly one of the things we're seeing is that this this growing demand for beef hits this particular market more so than some others. And meaning we're outstripping, the demand is outstripping supplies. Uh, We actually see premiums for prime over choice that a couple years ago I would have said never happens because it never shows up in the data. Basically, Prime Choice Select all sold at about the same price. We're actually seeing pre, uh, premiums grow there uh, for prime briskets out of the primal values. Uh, and we continue to see the branding carry premium throughout the year. Uh, I think something else is interesting, too, if we look at the overall level of prices. One of the things we saw last year was um, I, I thought we saw some really surprisingly Growing prices, given the growth in supplies, particularly—you know—we always think about getting through St. Patrick's Day, right? Uh, yet, while prices sort of fell after that, they maintained a much higher price than we than I think we normally would expect given the supply growth. Uh, I think that is simply a relation to demand for the product that consumers want this product and. There's a lot of tremendous great products being great restaurants starting up and people want to buy this and I think it's fueling a change in our price relationships where briskets are more expensive relative to other cuts uh, than we've seen in the past. And honestly, if I'm looking forward to next year, uh, I don't see any reason why that would change. That we continue to see a higher premium, a uh, changing price relationship between d- different cuts simply because the only good stuff that people want to buy. I mean, and, and so what are we doing? We're driving demand for the product uh, because people want to buy it. So I, I think that's exactly what we see. I think that's one of the, the big changes in the beef market. Uh, if we look at the cow market, we continue to move more cows to market this year than we did last year because we got more cows to sell growing our herd, we're growing our dairy herd uh, and we're, because you got more cows typically, you got more cows you gotta cull, so we ship more to market uh, and typically we sell the most cows in the fall. That's when most culling occurs. Uh, we continue to move more cows and so I think that's something we're going to, we we'll probably continue to see particularly as the cow herd starts to peak, we have more cows to go. Remember I showed that beef production chart that showed through the summer months we produced about the same amount of beef as a year ago, yet we killed about 10% more beef cows? One of the interesting things that I think relates to the cattle market and the meat market is most all of the growth in beef production came from old cows, and it came from efforts that we weren't keeping to send into the cow, to become a cow. So, so if you think, you know, normally steers weigh more than heifers, we get a lot more beef from the steer. Steer slaughter was actually below a year ago. Yet the growth in beef production is all coming from old cows. Well, there's a reason we grind up old cows, right? Because nobody wants to eat a steak from an old cow. Uh, I want to show cow prices just to show what's going on in terms of cows. Uh, As we move more cows to market, prices have basically collapsed. 40 cents a pound on average for old cows. Uh, I've actually seen some cows that are pretty thin going for 10 cents a pound uh, Gosh, I can't hardly find back in history cows going for 10 cents. But essentially what's fueling this, and this goes to our ground beef type market, with old cows, uh, that's pretty low. Uh, my projections for beef production through 2020, I expect 2019, we're gonna be, we're gonna have a little more beef production. Uh, then I sort of expect that our expansion is going to stall out. We're going to be at about the same level in 2020. Uh, but, you know, so that idea of growing supplies, yet I think some growing demand for the cuts we're particularly interested in. But again, growing supplies in the total market. I'm going to jump to Hawes for a second. Uh, again, record production in hogs driven by profits. Cheaper feed, they got a bunch of new plants open. I think longer term the big deal for hogs is, is how are we going to move record production? And record production at profitable prices, that's where they're going to struggle. Uh, A bunch of the tariffs that were announced were put on pork. Uh, What that's resulted in, we actually are exporting the same amount of pork, but we're selling it at a total price. and We're trying to find some other market somewhere where somebody else will buy it. They're not going to pay as much for it. So, hog guys I think are headed for some struggling uh, in in the coming year, but what it really means is we're headed for another year of record production and I think another year of lower prices on the hog side. This African swine fever, uh, the hog industry is hoping lots of eggs in other parts of the world get sick so we can sell them more, and that's a growing problem, that disease is a growing problem in China, they've actually had some some occurrences in Europe as well. Good statistic on how on, on profits in the hog industry, you see some more reds showing up in the last couple of months. Uh, if I looked out to next year and looked at the futures market for lean hogs, it's a carcass contract, they've been over 80 cents for the summer months. Uh, that's a profitable price. Anybody who raises hogs and is looking at next summer's market, you can see that futures market assuring them if they grab it of profits. If you know you're going to make profits next year, why would you cut back and produce less? So I think we're headed for more pork production. Um, green herd continues to grow. That usually means more hogs. I, got, I, I threw this in just for kicks. This is the number of sows we're sending to market, and, and the reason I put that in is I actually got asked a question about this from somebody that makes sausage and likes to, you know, always bottle those sows. And they wanted to know what was going, in the, going on in the sow market. Um, basically not a whole lot. It's about the same number as we slaughtered the year before. But, um, but we're also growing our breeding herd. And, and so the potential is for a few more. But the difference is, when you go back to If, if you look at this the kind of long-term trend decline in the number of sows, it's because we produce more pigs per sow than ever before much more productive. So more and more of our pork relies on barrels and gills rather than those sows. Um, so I was having this conversation with somebody, so I stuck it in there just for kicks. Barrel and gill slaughter continues to run year over year above uh, last year. You see that the last couple of weeks there uh in uh before Thanksgiving? Those were record large hog slaughter for all history in the U.S. Uh, we're producing a lot of hogs Generally, hog prices have been below a year ago. Uh, I'm going to show a couple of cuts in this case if I'm thinking about trimmings. Uh, for the most part this year, trimmings have been below a year ago, but kind of keeping their normal seasonal pattern, right? High prices in the summer, lower prices at any time of the rest of the year, but generally below a year ago. It's just a function of producing a heck of a lot of pork, and a heck of a lot of pork still. So Got to go somewhere, and particularly with some tariffs thrown in, uh, I think it means lower prices. Uh, same thing on the on the ribs, particularly when as, as uh, seasonally, both seasonally and with the, and with some tariffs, we've got four, uh, spare ribs, basically below a year ago from about six months this year. Uh, again, more supplies on the market. Uh, bellies. I use this to talk about when people want to talk about volatility in prices. I use the belly market. It's hard to find something wilder than this. Yet, basically, though uh, more supplies, more hogs, more bellies, a lot more of it in the coming year. Uh, so I think overall, all the, the prices on the hog side, just because we're going to produce a lot I want to make a couple comments about chicken and turkey. Um, chickens, we're expanding production, just like it seems like. You know, it used to be if you want, if you worked in the chicken industry as a market analyst or economist, forecasting chicken production was easy. Everybody had a ruler in their desk. You just stuck that ruler going like that, and that's what we were going to do. Uh, I think chickens headed for something. We're we'll going to change the slope of that ruler a little bit. The turkeys keep struggling. And it really boils down to, I think we've got some big changes in the turkey market ongoing where they don't know what to do with the stuff. you got a whole bird market driven by holidays, right? But well, what do you do with the rest of the turkey production throughout the year? what they, Where they seem to really be struggling is in the deli meats market and competing with cheaper other stuff. Whether it's cheaper hams, cheaper chicken. They seem to really be struggling, trying to figure out how they're going, to, what they're going to do about production when they're losing money. And normally that means we're going to produce less of it, right? They haven't quite figured out how do they match the whole bird market needs at Thanksgiving with losing money all the rest of the time. Uh, on the chickens, I thought I'd just point out the number of chicks that we place in houses to get grown out. Look over the last couple of months, where we actually are. Slow. we're actually placing fewer chicks. We place fewer chicks, it means less chicken production. In a fairly, relatively short period of time, coming next year, I think we're going to cut into chicken production and actually see some declines. And the reason why is, I'm going to use just leg quarters. It doesn't matter what part of the chicken I show. Breasts, uh, legs, wings, leg quarters, whole birds, it all looks like that with prices way below a year and falling and even with some cheaper feed those prices are low enough to I think force them to have to start figuring out to try to cut production a little bit to boost prices and so I think they're basically stuck right now. I, th- I think the, the tariff stuff and the feed costs gave them a little bit of relief. The prices keep falling on what they're selling and so I, f- I fully expect you know some continued pretty low chicken prices, and uh, but we'll see. But but coming in the spring, we ought to expect some less chicken production in response to this. They can respond faster than we do on beef or hogs, right? Doesn't take very long to raise a chicken. So I, I do expect some changes in the chicken market in terms of some tighter production. You know, I should have bought wings too. I mean. You know, it used to be wings were worthless, right? Till buffalo wings started. <laughs> and but even football season hadn't helped them too much. Wings been cheap, sheep as a years. And I think they're just praying it was a Super Bowl where you get your slip you some more wings. Is there, it's sort of a disaster area on the chicken side. Turkey production. You know, we got turkeys basically at the same level as we had on average, the same level as last year. Yet turkeys have been 20% lower than they were a year ago. And this happens to be for the whole, well, kind of 8 to 16 pound whole bird market. But that, I mean, that's struggle. That's what they produce. And they produce them for the holidays, right? And how do we move turkeys? I mean, these guys, I think they're in real mind. And they're continuing to try to figure out how we're how we going to cut production and still supply thanksgiving. When clearly the, to me this is a picture of an industry that has declining demand for its product. I sold the same amount, but the only way I could sell the same amount is I had to sell it at a 20% lower price than wholesale I sold before last year. Basically a dollar versus 80 cents this year. And I'm going to use my wife as an example. She up and declared, this is a good, I think this is an example of a bunch of this stuff in my slides. She declared silver. So, She's a planner, she does all her menus for holidays, like two months ahead. D-Day should have been planned this good. So she's been planning her menus and stuff. We got through Thanksgiving, but she declared like a month or so ago that she wasn't cooking a turkey at Christmas. We were gonna have barbecue. And so, yeah, <laughs> so I said, okay, I said, thinking, thank God, finally, you know, after all these years, but, but uh, so she's been planning that out. But you know, I think that's a, I think that's something we see going on everywhere throughout this. Is one that's part of Turkey's problem. She's not going to do a turkey at Thanksgiving. I mean, Christmas this year, that she's done forever. We're going to have something else. Yet it also highlights. I think this change in demand on the beef side, particularly barbecue side. That's driving the demand in on the beef side of things as well. So I, I didn't tell her I was using hers as an example, but since she's not here, She does, she's been playing the menus for like two months, it's the damnedest thing. I'm more of like, well, oh, let's just show up and eat you. But I think it highlights exactly what's going on, but it also tells me on the price side, there will be some pretty good prices for turkey, turkey products around. And does, you know, do, does, does that provide some opportunities? Somehow the turkey people have got to get through this, and I think it means long well, production. I'm going, say a couple, I'm going to make a comment about dairy. Uh, just because I did last year, but basically dairy is pretty fascinating, I think. Um, it's an industry where production continues to go up. up yet we consume it differently don't we? Um, Fluid milk consumption continues to fall because of alternatives of what we want to drink but we consume but total milk consumption in the U.S. is going up and it's because we eat more cheese and we eat more stuff like green yogurt and butter is back, right? (laughs) So so we decided, you know, the other stuff it ain't no good, we're going to go back to the real thing, which was butter. So butter consumption is the highest it's been in 45 years. Um, cheese consumption continues to go up. I guess as long as we keep eating pizzas, we're going to keep eating cheese. So, and, and so it continues to go. So as a whole, we're eating, we're consuming more milk, we're just not drinking it. But we've gotten to the point that we have a huge amount of supplies of milk in the world. And prices continue to stay low. We're going through what I've characterized today as the next big ring out of dairy farmers in the US, where we have more farmers going out of business, we have more growth. Here they come in the meat, man. Y'all do see me eat, now. Here on the meat, man. Y'all to see me eat, now. I got jaws like a bat trap, a teeth like a razor. I made a tongue with a sensitive taster, I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener, showing a the hell like of a meat him the meat man. Y'all ought to see me eating.